0: Rachel just read the text that we'll be looking at this morning in Matthew 26. It's the narrative of when Jesus instituted communion uh, for his disciples. And what we're going to do the next three weeks is we're we're going to look at this passage on communion. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and his praying that the cup of God's wrath will be taken from him. But not my, you know, not my will, but yours be done. And then we'll uh, conclude a sort of our Easter series of three messages on Easter morning with a a sermon on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And why I think it's important, I, again, I think this is a good prelude as we, we 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 march here towards Easter. But I think it's important also to take time to explain and remind ourselves what we're doing. In communion, I think it's easy because we we do it you know somewhat regularly, although we haven't done it that regularly. That's why we're celebrating it again. We're celebrating again on Good Friday uh, because we haven't been able to celebrate communion together as regularly as we normally do through COVID. But I think it's easy to misunderstand what we're trying to do. And I just remember as a small child, I, I was mystified uh, during communion. I didn't understand what was going on. They would pass around these little crackers. Uh, they passed around the juice. As a, as a kid, I thought, well, this is kind of chintzy, you know. Well, this is not a great snack. I mean, I didn't know any better. My parents wouldn't let me take communion, so that bothered me at times. And I kept trying to ask them, why can't I take communion? And they said, well, you, you need to you know, put your faith and confidence in Christ alone, and we'd, we'd also like you to be baptized uh, you know, when you're ready. And, and so I couldn't participate. Uh, th- that was uh, difficult. It was also difficult because my mother, I think, had high anxiety when I passed particularly the cups to the next person. We had some spillage occasionally, which was not good. And of course, there were other elements of the worship service I didn't fully understand. One was the offering. And I remember one time as a four-year-old kid, I fell asleep uh, even before the sermon <laughs> um, and the offering plate came by, and this is back in the day, uh, kids, you know, before there was online banking. This was back in the day when people put actual cash and checks, remember those days, in an offering plate. And I, we were sitting at the, in the middle of the church, and so it was a pretty offering plate full of a lot of cash. And I kind of woke up to have this plate in front of me, drop the thing, and I mean, there were quarters going under the pews, uh, dollar bills were floating around, and I, 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 you know, it was not good. So what are we doing? Which we're going to do in just a few minutes. When we take this bread every week, and we take the cup every week, what in the world are, should we be thinking about? And I think the danger is we can sort of go through the motions and not fully reflect on all I think that Jesus would want us to think about in this time of communion, the Lord's Supper. I think it's also fair to say that, 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 that communion is designed to be this this regular occurrence in the church, and it, it is it is foundational to our faith. This is what has driven uh, all of the church leaders nuts the last couple of months. We haven't been able to celebrate this for a while. Uh, we celebrated online with our parish system before, uh, you know, this uh, over the summer and the spring and the summer, and why it is so vital for us not only to, partake of communion together, but also to understand the full significance of what Jesus Christ is asking us to do. So this morning, I want to help us Make four connections. Now, these are not the only connections, but there are four connections that you need to make. When you take the bread in just a few minutes, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to invite anyone who's trusted Christ as your savior to partake. When you take that bread and take the cup, there are four connections I want to encourage you to be making from the text when you partake. So let's dive in. The first connection... Verse 26, it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup. What you need to see in this first connection is now as they were eating, what were the disciples doing at this moment? What they were doing was celebrating Passover. Passover. This was a celebration that God had ordained the people of God at that time to to perform. The, the Passover celebration was a reenactment of the time when Israel, who had been enslaved for 400 years or so in Egypt... God was about to deliver them supernaturally out of bondage to move them to the promised land. And he told the Israelites on the night before they were, they were supposed to leave, they were to take a lamb and they were to 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 kill that lamb and put the blood on the doorpost of their homes. They were to, to eat this particular meal. They were supposed to eat it sort of ready to leave because God was going to deliver them. They put the blood on the doorpost from this unblemished uh, lamb that they were to, to to, to, to kill in, in order to protect themselves from the death angel of God who was going to go in and, and take the lives of all of the foresporn of Egypt not, and, and, and their animals even. And if the blood was on the doorpost, the, the death angel God in some sense would pass over that house, would save that house from destruction because of the blood of that lamb. And that's what Jesus and his disciples are celebrating at this time. They are celebrating one of God's uh, significant acts in his redemptive plan of history of of redeeming the world from sin. And Passover is one element in this drama, this, this narrative, this story of how God is enacting his plan of redemption to redeem the world from its sin. And for the original ones who were celebrating Passover and then for millennia forward, that Passover, yes, it did remind the people of God, Israel, of what God had done to deliver them out of Egypt. And they ended up getting out of Egypt and they were supernaturally allowed to get out of Egypt. They had to wander in the desert for 40 years because of their sin and unbelief. But eventually they made it to the promised land. That Passover which was a real event commemorating a real redemptive act of God, was always pointing forward to the Lamb of God who is our Passover, to Jesus. And so I think it's highly significant as he celebrates this Passover meal, looking back to what God had done for Israel. But it was always designed to point forward in God's redemptive plan to who? To Jesus And at the Passover, Jesus then institutes by taking the bread, breaking it, blessing it, giving it to his disciples, taking the cup, blessing that and giving it to his disciples. What God is doing is it's culminating in Jesus Christ, the centerpiece, the fulcrum, the, the main ingredient of God's redemptive plan is Jesus. And that's what I want to make this connection, the first connection when you take this bread and you take this cup in just a few minutes, is you need to connect God's redemptive plan to redeem the universe is centered in Jesus alone. The Passover, yes, commemorated an actual redemptive act, but it was always looking forward. And now with Jesus, we see that God's entire redemptive plan hinges on him and his death for you for me and what I would like us to see and what I think we need to see when you're taking the bread and you're taking the cup you've got to have a cosmic vision for what we're reenacting here Jesus Christ is about to die for the sins of the world. He is about to be the ultimate Passover lamb to, to save us from God's wrath that we deserve. He is about to, to, to suffer and die for us to provide everything we need in this life and the next. It's, he is the center of God's cosmic redemptive plan. And when he asks us today, We can look back to this first institution of the Lord's Supper. We can look back on what Jesus has done and it reminds us that Jesus Christ is the center. We need to connect communion to God's redemptive plan for the world because it's all about Jesus. And I think this is crucial for us. This is the narrative that must govern your thinking. It must govern your perspective. The narrative of God's redemption that is centered in Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward. We can look back. But it's all about Jesus. This narrative of God's redemptive plan for the, for the universe is reenacted every time we as God's people, the church, take that bread and drink from that cup. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think this narrative governs our thinking and our hearts as consistently as oh, It doesn't mine. I mean, I know about these things. I, I go through some trials. I go through some difficulties. I have a few unanswered prayers. And guess what? Is the narrative about God's redemptive plan centered in Jesus and I'm, I'm grateful to be part of that and I take that bread and drink that cup and see that I am in the greatest redemptive story in the universe and I'm part of God's redemptive. No, because you know what I do? I make my life not about that. I make it about me. Instead of having this hope and this central part of God's redemptive drama guiding me, directing me, seeing me and all my life and my suffering and connecting it to this unfolding redemptive plan. I narrow my life and I make it all about Tracy. And what I want and what are my hopes and what are my dreams So when you eat that bread in just a second and you drink from that cup, can you connect God's entire redemptive plan for the universe connected to what Jesus is doing and to realize that now through Jesus Christ, you are personally connected to this drama, this story, this narrative that needs to guide, direct your thinking, your heart, your hopes, your dreams, Help you understand your suffering, all embedded in this grand narrative that Jesus participates in when he's at Passover and then he reinstitutes the Lord's Supper. That's the first connection. The second connection is not as maybe as obvious here, although I, I'm going to show you where I, I think it is in this text, and I'm going to bring another text on the Lord's table to bear. Verse 27, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I think Jesus Christ is talking about this band of disciples be the beginning of this new community called the church. We talked about it in Ephesians uh, the last couple of months. But what the connection you need to make here is that you need to connect our unity to Jesus alone. I want you to turn over to another verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, to see this more explicitly described. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Paul is speaking about communion. Actually, the communion celebration in the, in the church in Corinth has gotten out of hand. They've lost sight of who, what they're supposed to be doing. In verse 17, he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. There's a sense in which when we take this bread in just a few minutes and we take the cup, we are, we are reconnecting with the idea that in Christ plus nothing else, that is where the unity of God's people, that's where it resides. It's in Jesus He's the one who unites us. Paul says we are in Christ. He is the one because of his death on the cross, because he poured out his life for us, because he forgives our sin, and it's only through him. He's the one at the cross that puts us all in the same plane. We're all sinners. And he brings us together in one body, and we reenact that every time we partake of communion. Paul talks about this all the time. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're slave or free, whether you're Jew or Greek. Those would have been the two most uh, significant chasms that separated people in the first century. He said, it doesn't matter if you're a you're, you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. You were all unit, you, united in who? Jesus. And... My question for all of us is, is that what we really think? Is that what we really believe? Is that what we really connect when we take that bread and cup? I am in union with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that unity that we share in Christ is bigger than all of the differences we have. Oh, I mentioned politics, you know, in the fall through Ephesians, you know, that. Um, you know, maybe if Paul was writing to North American Christians, particularly American Christians in this age, he probably would have said whether slave or free, Jew or Greek, progressive, conservative, Republican, Democrat. I mean, that you know, Christ is the center of your unity. I think because of COVID nineteen, he might write it differently. I mean, you know, you know how I interpret. You know, whether two or three are gathered, you have seven or eight views on COVID. Okay. I think Paul would say to us, whether you, you, uh, wh- wh- whether you like, the, whether you think the lockdowns were necessary, whether you think the lockdowns weren't necessary, whether you like masks or you don't like masks, vaccinated, unvaccinated. Listen, if we try to unify God's people around anything other than Jesus, it is never going to happen. Can you imagine a congregational meeting to try to unify us around our COVID response? Some of you have had different ideas over the last year. You would be divided from yourself, right? I know who some of you are. You told me things in March and now you're telling me different things today. Those are all superfluous Disunities. What brings Stonehill Church and any church of Jesus Christ? What unites us is not our socioeconomic standing. It, 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 it's it's not what we think about COVID. It's not our political affiliations. Those are those are real differences, and and and, and there's you know there's a real in some sense. But the, the unity we have is Jesus. Plus nothing. So when you eat that bread and you drink that cup, you need to connect that to the fact that because of Jesus Christ, we are more unified. We are unified in a more profound, deeper way in spite of the other differences that we have. And I'll just be honest. It, it, it's, it, you know, I've often said this about mid Jersey people. You can tell a mid Jersey something, but you can't tell them much, all right? You're stubborn. You're strong minded people. You have to be to survive the New Jersey Turnpike. I get it. I like that about our church. I like it that we don't all monolithically think the same about politics. I really do. That would be boring. And we would be wrong about some things at least. In some sense, I'm sort of grateful that there's different views on COVID. I'm glad that we don't all have to think the same on every issue. It doesn't matter because what is most important about us is Jesus Christ. He died for us and brought us together. And that unity is more palpable, should be, and is more real than the differences that we may share. And the question is when you, when, you, when you eat that bread and you drink that cup, are you going to be thinking about that? It's a great quote from A.T. Pearson who says For a child of God, the invisible bond that unites all believers to Christ is far more tender and lasting and precious. And as we come to recognize and realize that we are all dwelling in one sphere of life in him, Christ, we learn to look on every believer as our brother in a sense that is infinitely higher than all human relationships. This is the one and only way to bring disciples permanently together. All other plans for promoting the unity of the church have failed. We must connect communion. To the unity that we have in Christ plus nothing. There's a third connection we need to make, and that is we need to connect our sin to Jesus alone. Then go back and read the text again, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, and he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you take that bread and you drink that cup, you are reminding yourself that Jesus Christ's death, his shed blood was sufficient to deal with your sin problem and mind. Amen? No sin is too big for that. What he does, we need to connect our sin to Jesus alone. It's interesting that Jesus talks about the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You realize that the people of God were under the Mosaic covenant back in the Old Testament—a group of about six hundred plus laws. Though that Mosaic covenant did not have the power to change someone internally, it were laws. It could somewhat regulate the external behavior of people, but it had no power. No law has the power to actually change you from the inside out. Only God can do that. And salvation was the same in the Old Testament. You came to to, to know God through faith in him alone. All of it based on the substitutionary death of Christ, which was still future, but all of the Mosaic sacrifices and all of that system was pointing forward to this sacrificial death that Jesus would have. People were saved by grace through faith in God in the Old Testament. But they were under the Mosaic covenant. And when and then the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, particularly Jeremiah 31, talks about this new covenant, that God's going to put a new covenant. And that new covenant was going to have the power to give you the forgiveness of sins. It's going to have the power to change your heart. It's going to have the power to internally change you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, I'm inaugurating that covenant through my shed blood. And what is it for? For the forgiveness of sins. And I have a real confession to make here as a kid. I, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that deals with communion and it talked about you need to examine yourself before you take the bread and the cup. I agree with that. We will have a time to do that. And, and, and I remember the pastor saying, you need to confess your sin. And I now I was ready to take communion, but I got all worried about that. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, it also talks about the people in Corinth weren't celebrating the Lord's table, right? And then the text says some of you were sick and some of you have died. So I was freaked out. Now, I didn't use bad words. I never heard bad words in my house. I don't know what these bad words were, but I, I, I would find myself as a nine year old kid, and I'd get ready to take, and I, all of a sudden a bad word would come into my mouth. And I'd say, Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me! You know? I'm alive. That's poor application. And I do get concerned for some of us who know Christ. Is that when you take that bread and take that cup, you don't fully connect your sin to Jesus. He's dealt with it finally, fully. Randy Alcorn said this, are we trying to atone for our sins? We can't, only Jesus can, and he already did. Don't try to repeat the atonement, just accept it. Embrace God's forgiveness. Are we doing that? And Jerry Bridges talked about it this way. He says, we tend to drag up our old sins, that we tend to live under a vague sense of guilt. We are not nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as he is in extending it. Consequently, instead of living in the sunshine of God's forgiveness through Christ, we tend to live under an overcast sky of guilt most of the time. When you take that bread and you drink that cup, what it does remind you is how serious God takes your sin what did he do to deal with it? He went all the way to the cross. He took all of your sin upon himself. He suffered what you should have received. It was it was poured out on Jesus. That's how serious God takes our sin, but he took care of our sin in Jesus. And sometimes I think when you take the bread and you take the cup, are you really re- acknowledging? Do you really believe in that moment I am completely forgiven? Nothing in my past or my present or the phallops the in the future can take away the shed blood of Jesus Christ who has forgiven me completely. Sometimes I fear for us as God's people when we take the bread and we take the cup, if we don't connect our sin to Jesus alone, we will minimize what Jesus did because we don't see the immensity of our sin and the immensity of what it took to deal with that sin through Jesus. On the other hand I feel that some of us drag our sins into our lives and we try to atone for it. We try to make up for it. We're not completely sure that our sins are forgiven. And when you take the bread and you take the cup and if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, he wants you to drink that cup and eat that bread and and have a deep sense of joy, I am forgiven. It's all on Jesus and it's not on me. That's the connection we need to make. Lastly, one last connection. Talked about the, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is interesting. Uh, Most of us, when we think about communion, the bread and the cup, we think about what Jesus did in the past. This is actually pushing communion to the future. What Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is saying is, when you take the bread and you take the cup, you need to connect your future with Jesus. Jesus apparently is not going to uh, participate in communion until that day when he drinks it anew with us in his father's kingdom. He's saying, I am going to take you all the way to your full redemption. And then I will drink it again with you. And so when you take the bread, you take the cup, you are acknowledging your future in in Christ is completely secure. It's going to happen Communion is not simply about your sin and your past. It's not simply about God's redemptive plan and all of its glory. It's not simply the unity that we have in Christ. It's the future is completely secure and you will be in heaven, free from sin, sickness, death. Everything that you suffered will be removed. You will be in that new place, drinking anew with Jesus. C.S. Lewis writes so well about this. He wrote this, both good and evil, when they are full grown, become retrospective. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporary suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. And that's where some of you are probably this morning. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. See, Lewis also mentioned this in a children's book, right? The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's talking about the witch, remember. He's talking about Aslan, and Aslan died. And he goes on to describe, and he says, the witch would have, would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And I think this is hard for us to believe. I think some of you this morning are going through a suffering or you're going through anxiety or you're going through a circumstances or a trial. And that's really all you can see. And the idea when you take the bread and you take the cup, you ought to be connecting that to saying one day I will be drinking this again with, with, with Jesus in heaven in this new kingdom. And that new kingdom will push back into your earthly life and overcome the suffering you have and be able to, by God's grace, overturn the present suffering you're in and turn it into glory in that next life. And we just don't believe that. But that's what we must do. That's what Jesus wanted his disciples and all those who came after them. When they take the bread and they take the cup to connect our future with Jesus alone and that future is glorious. So let's prepare for communion. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you, we're going to partake together. Communion is open to all those who have put their faith and confidence in Christ alone. When you take that bread in a moment and you take that cup, I want you to make four connections. One is I want you to connect God's redemptive plan for the world to Jesus. What you do when you take that bread and cup is you're participating in a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a retelling of God's grand narrative and God's redemptive plan to restore this broken world begins and ends with Jesus. Secondly, I want to connect, you need to, we need to connect that bread and that cup and what it symbolizes, what it, what it demonstrates, connect that to the unity that we have here at Stonehill. We are more unified because of Jesus. We need to believe that and act on that. Thirdly, we need to connect our sin to Jesus alone. For those who struggle with taking their sin seriously, when you take that bread and cup, realize what God had to do to rescue you from your own sin. And for those of you who overvalue your sin, so to speak, and say, well, I don't know. When you take the bread and you take the cup, God's grace in Jesus is bigger than your sin. He's already dealt with it. Believe it. And lastly, when you take the bread and you take the cup, it's ought to, you got to connect that to the future glory. Whatever your present suffering, and I know it's, a number of you are suffering greatly, one day in that new kingdom, when you drink again with Jesus, your suffering is going to be transformed in a, in a supernatural way and it will be glory. Believe it when you take the bread and you take the cup. I'm going to give you a fair, about a minute or so to pray, to prepare your heart, to make these connections in your heart. Some of us need to ask forgiveness for the way we haven't connected with communion within these four ways. Some of you might need to confess different sins that God brings to mind. Let's spend a minute to prepare our hearts to partake together of this glorious Lord's table. Let's bow our heads.